jobs and we didn't have as much money as we used to, camping was really kind of the best way for us to vacation with the family. Now, there is no lack of places in Texas to go camping. I mean, Texas is a large place, so you figure lots of places to camp, go camping. And one of my most favorite places to go is when the kids and I, Lindsay and the kids and I, all went to Enchanted Rock. Now, Enchanted Rock is about a couple hours east, uh, I mean, west of, of Austin. And I want to show you a picture. I didn't take this picture, sadly. Uh, but this is a picture of Enchanted Rock at night. And Lindsay and I, we, we saw that you could see the Milky Way as clear as though it was on a television screen. It was gorgeous. Now, what's funny is, if I asked most of you on any given day, on a clear night, and you felt interested in, in taking a look at the stars, how many of us can see something like this, right? You don't usually get a chance to see the Milky Way and all of its vibrancy. And that's because we have a lot of light pollution, right? Every time we have a cobra light hanging somewhere, every time we need to have um, an extra light lighting the road, every single bit of that makes it a little bit and a little bit harder for us to be able to see the stars at night. It's gotten so bad that you actually, in most places, can't see most of the stars. Although, interestingly enough, if you look at... um, the uh, Dark Sky website. Yes, there is actually an organization whose specific job is to help us find where we can actually see the stars. That seems a little ridiculous. But if you look, our actually part of the state is actually relatively good still for star viewing. There are actually designated places now called Dark Sky Zones. Enchanted Rock is one of them. It is where you can actually see the stars the way that it's intended in all of its bright, beautiful glory. The closest dark sky zone to where we are right now is in Logan at the John Glenn Astronomy Center. So if you're really jonesing for a nice view, head down to Logan. But we find, of course, that our lives in in the evening have become a, a haze of thrown light. Every place where there is some sort of man-made light, it extends. And it covers a bit of what we used to be able to see. And so to imagine that there were a group of people that saw a star is, you know, a little tough to consider now. We maybe have one or two stars that we can see regularly. But this was not just any star, of course. This was a single star that these magi found, and it is what drove them to head toward Bethlehem Way. Now, we don't know much about the mages, if we're honest. There's a picture that I found of them. Um, Our legends have turned them into three kings of Orient are, bearing gifts, traversing far, field and fountain, moor and mountain, Following yonder star, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> But the text itself, if you look at the gospel text, it simply says mages. Could have been three. Could have been 20. It could have been two. We just know more than one. But, you know, when you have to write a song, three is a pretty solid number. And we also don't know that they're kings. Mages 
simply meant that at best we could figure. Oh, there's another great picture. If I saw those three coming towards my baby, I might be a little worried. (laughs) Baby Jesus looks a little awkward. But here's the thing. At best, we can know for certain from the text that they are astrologers and more than likely from Babylon. You want to... So we're still working it. Yep. And then the next one. Awesome. So Babylon was in the east, if you remember. They were, at the time, a Persian vassal region. The Persians who had overtaken them years ago. They were people who carried a particular special type of wisdom. They read the world and they tried to make inferences on it. And they traveled to see the new baby that had been born. This was not a small journey, but it would have taken months for them to arrive. The best I could see is that it was a 900-mile trip, and we'll talk about this a little later, but that would have taken three months' time for a single star, for a group of people that are reading stars in a faraway country to go travel. But they did it. And we ought to take a moment to pause here because the Magi are unique. They're unique to Matthew's telling And again, like we mentioned, this is one of the few times in our year because this is the 12th day of Christmas, and so you imagine it doesn't always land on Sunday. But this Sunday we are in Epiphany, so we can take a moment to think about the Magi. And honestly, when you think about characters in the Bible, they're kind of weird. They have this really brief cameo, but their presence in this story shakes up the entire order of the world as we know it. The Magi were outsiders. They, didn't, they were not Hebrews. They didn't live nearby. They weren't part of the culture, and they certainly weren't part of the Jewish religion. They had been the, type, the people that had conquered Israel centuries before. There was no reason to think that they had any particular reason to care about what was happening 900 miles away. They were Gentiles. Why would they care about a star in Bethlehem? But they paid attention to the signs. Something drew them to this moment. They used their skills, their gifts, both inside them and the gifts that they gave, and it led them to a podunk town months and months away. If we were today, all of a sudden, found a random light, and we were like, you know what, let's uh, go on a trip, that 900 miles would head us to Kaweeney, Kansas, somewhere kind of in the middle, but a little west-central Kansas. Or, for all of our uh, folks that kind of go down to Florida, this would be Tennille, Florida, a random spot about an hour south of Tallahassee. Random small places, and if you imagine not being able to take a car, you would better be sure that it was worth the trip. And so these outsiders, these star readers, decide to haul up and take a trip. And what's interesting, though, is somehow, for some reason, the Magi could only get so far. The story doesn't say that they went from Babylon and then they got to Bethlehem and they saw Jesus. No, they had to stop and take a pit stop to get directions 
from King Herod. Now, King Herod, so as I picture him, I need to do this more often, like this. The truth is we hear Herod the Great, and that's how we think of it, but truthfully, Herod the Great is probably a little bit more like Herod the Complicated. He had done more, King Herod had, to establish Jerusalem in his time than many of his other predecessors. The people that lived in Jerusalem at the time had more safety and stability than they were used to. If you look here, this was some of the construction that Herod did at the time. The temple at the time was the most opulent it ever had been up to that point. The walls that were around Jerusalem were the strongest that they had ever been. King Herod certainly was great when it came to his ability to undertake construction projects. This was the time for the Jewish people, for the Hebrew people. They had power. Herod was powerful. He could build what he wanted. He could build towers with opulent, gorgeous mansions at the top living quarters and name them after his friends, name them after his children. But that power was being challenged by the outside magi and by the baby. The baby that they had only heard of at that moment. And so once their power was threatened, Herod and the people began to justify ways to maintain their power. And some of these sound kind of familiar, ways that we might want to hold on to our own power. The first thing that they did is they used scripture. All the, Herod brought all of his advisors together and said, what does this mean? And so the people said, hey, don't forget the prophet said, and you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Isn't it easy sometimes to find something in Scripture that can confirm our fears? Oh my goodness, Herod, I'm telling you this is what they said. We've got to do something about this. And the second thing that they do is they, Herod tried to manipulate the people. Now, as much as I'd like to give any villain credit, because we're all complicated, complex people, it doesn't seem that Herod really had it in his best interest to go worship the Christ child. When he invited the Magi to go out and then come back, it wasn't so that he then could follow to worship. Because as we read later, there were disastrous consequences for the people. But what's so fascinating about this moment is all the work that Herod and the people who were around him tried to do throughout the story, they don't see the light. They don't see the star. There's no moment in Matthew where Herod says, oh, I saw that star too. At best, he's getting suggestions from other people. At best, he's trying to figure out when it happened and where it happened. But the light itself that drew people months and months away from their home that had no reason to come, Herod himself did not see. And you would think, 
in, in Jerusalem, not too far from Bethlehem, the people who had the power, the people who had the control, the people who were holding on to what mattered would have been the first ones to see what was going on. They only react against the starlight. And they respond against the Messiah who came to save the world. And the consequences here are violent. People lost their firstborn. That is the story that comes immediately after the story we read today. Prophets were killed. The story of John the Baptist is not too far from this story. Herod treated his people like Pharaoh treated the Hebrew people when they were slaves. The person who was supposed to be caretaking. You hear the stories of what Herod did and it is hard not to remember the story of the Exodus. It's hard not to hear the stories of what was done to the people and yet this was supposed to be the person who was caretaking. The person who has built the walls so tall and so powerfully to defend the people that he would end up killing. But still, even with all of that, they don't see the light. They don't look for the star. Why would they want to? It took Gentiles, star readers, outsiders, to announce the coming of the Savior for the people who were on the inside. But they were trying to overwhelm that message. The pollution of their own drive to brighten up their worlds in their own power and their own brokenness. When the Gentile speaks the truth of the world changing, even in the T.S. Eliot poem that we read before, even the Magi know that the world is going to change. Could you imagine having made this journey and seeing the child who will change the universe as it is created and you had to go home? for three months to reflect on that? It's going to be a difficult, difficult journey home. But even in the midst of that, they still went to see the Savior of the world. And friends, I think it can become so easy to drown this story, the story of the Magi, into a kind of saccharine light. Warm glows of pageants and soft sepia tones, of sweetness of babies being born, of good people traveling distances to give gifts. And sometimes we need to do that. This world is not all gloom and doom. Herod sometimes needs to be a slapstick fool. I know, now from personal experience, as I played Herod a couple weeks ago, was the highlight of my acting career. Sometimes he needs to look bad. But friends, when we read these stories and we consider what they mean for our lives, that can't just be it. It can't just be the haze of good memories and happiness. It must not be it, or we too may fear the fear of Herod. Not seeing the light, the star that leads us to life change, but being awash by the pollution of our own lights of fear, of violence, and perhaps of maintaining power. 
And maybe you feel that right now culturally. A way of life is diminishing. You can't do what you could do anymore. You can't say what you could say anymore. Things are not the way that they used to be. And maybe you want to hold on a little bit more to what you have. Maybe there are things you're struggling with here at Old Stone that feel the same way. Don't think it would just happen to you. One of the hardest things that I've had to deal with since coming here is I loved writing sermons in manuscript. Loved it. Because that meant that I knew exactly what I was going to say at every given moment. I started to hear folks say, you know, we'd like to maybe have you not do manuscripts. Would you be willing to do outlines? But what that meant was I was going to have to expose a little bit more of my heart every Sunday, a little bit of my spirit. And here's the thing, I got my own thoughts, my own mind. And so I had to say, well, where's the Christ child in this moment? And so it meant my own little way. I had to start going an outline. And it wasn't fun the first week. <laughs> but it's meant that I've had to expose a little bit more of myself to you. And I had to be a little bit more vulnerable. And then I had to let some of my own safety go. And so maybe there's moments right now as you are walking through this time together where there are pieces that are hard to let go of. I don't want to let go of this thing spiritually. I don't want to let go of this thing emotionally. And so I crowd it around like Herod. The light is coming, but I'm going to find ways to get away from it. Maybe some of you had that feeling last Sunday when you were here. You know it was different. I know some of you might have been a little annoyed when you came in. No bulletins. We're not sitting in pews. Gosh, I get it. I might have felt the same way as I was coming in last week. But what happened for those of you that were here on the other side of that moment? We sang together. We looked at each other. We spent time praying together. I watched so many of you laugh and cry and pray and celebrate together. There was something beautiful on the other side. And what would have happened if any of us would have held on to our Herodian hope of the things that we want and the things that we hope to have control in and the fears well, we might have missed Jesus on the other side of that. But you didn't, did you? You stuck in. And maybe you felt like an outsider in your own church for a few minutes, but you didn't at the end. You didn't at the end. And if that bulletin board is any indication, the Christ child was amongst us. The Spirit was here. And so I thank each and every single one of you who maybe had a moment of trepidation that you stuck it out. It meant you felt a little less like Herod 
and a little bit more like the Magi. Every day that I have been in the office this week, I stop at that bulletin board, and I read, and I pray. I pray for the celebrations, and I give thanks to God. And I pray for the fears. I pray for those moments when we don't know what's happening. And I invite you today, take a little time. Please go back there. If you weren't here on Sunday, go back there. If there's something you want to add, add it. But that, when I think about 2019, and I think about what life is going to be like for us in the next year, that, friends, is my hope for all of us myself included, because Lord knows I have my own moments of Herod. I kind of want to hold on a little bit more. I liked wearing my robe. It was comfort to me. It helped me feel like I was your pastor. I needed it for a little bit, but at some point you have to let it go so that I actually could become your pastor because it matters And I'm vulnerable because that's where we all need to be. And I haven't followed half of this. (laughs) As we look into 2019, I hope that we seek the Christ light. More than anything else in this world. That maybe sometimes we can no longer be Herod in our fiefdoms, holding on to the world, holding on to it because the light is better than what we can shine. We need to break down our own walls that we have had the time to build up so beautifully. That perhaps we arrest our own Herodian tendencies and be willing at times to be outsiders wanting to desperately meet Jesus again. That we were willing to follow a star 900 miles away from home because something was important. That's what I want. That's my prayer for every single one of you this year and honestly beyond this time. And that maybe there are outsiders right now who are desperately seeking the Christ light and that we welcome them in and we say, here is where you can be. And follow the dreams that land in the stars so far away. And we follow them together. And there we find Christ. Thanks be to God.